Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. And today I have Thalua, oh, I'm not going to say Ebeline with me today. I knew I was going to mess up that name. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. And as many of you know, we are now on YouTube. We've been on it just under a year. So please remember to subscribe, like, share, and listen often. I'd really appreciate that. And um, just so we can get to know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your story, and how you started out? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to try to make this somewhat short. (laughs) So to make a long story short, I was born in Morocco and then uh, raised in Belgium. So my mom and I, we immigrated um, from Morocco to Belgium where I grew up and I went to school there. This is where I I learned how to speak French and the first language of uh, Belgium with uh, Flemish. And then from there, I um, had this urge or this dream of coming to New York uh, based on nothing, really, because I have never been to New York City. So I planned it all up. Uh, it took me a while. And then I, this, cause I didn't have any money. I didn't have any family members, no, nobody in New York to help me out. And I didn't even speak English. So that's a, <laughs> so I found an organization called an au pair. I think if you don't know what an au pair is, it's like a, a babysitter, a full-time nanny. Uh, so you take care of the kids and you take care of the house and you, in exchange for room and board. And you get paid, but very little money. And that was my only option because everything else was either too expensive or I just couldn't, you know, uh, I, I didn't find any other ways. So I arrived in New York City at the age of 20 years old and without <laughs> any preparation, just to, I want to go to New York. So <clears throat> when I arrived, I realized um, the many challenges that are waiting for me, you know, besides culture shocks, uh, being alone, um, not having the proper documentation. At that point, I had a visa for uh, au pair, um, but that's all. And then, um, yeah, I I really had nothing, but I was very, I don't know if you remember when you were in your teens, like, like we were fearless. Like I look back now, I'm like, if I had to do this again, I don't think I would. But back then I was like, okay, let's figure this out. And, um, and then I did my au pair. I met the family. Uh, they lived in Connecticut. And in my mind, when I was reading the, the, the family description, I thought Connecticut was next to New York City. That's why I wanted to go there. And then when I found out, I was all the way up there next to Massachusetts. So it was so far away. I, f- I f- felt so isolated and lonely and I didn't like it. And I think the family felt it. And after three months, they fired me. So I didn't expect, I didn't expect to be fired that quick uh, at 20. And I had no resources, anything. And I'm like, but where am I going to go? They didn't care. They just told me you have two hours to take your stuff and leave. And uh, the agency arrived and they picked me up and I was in tears. And I'm like, but where, where am I going? Like, I, I, I don't know anything. So I um, took the train and I arrived in uh, New York City, back from Connecticut. And uh, <clears throat> I remember I went through, back then I had a flip phone, you know, and I went through all my contacts. And since the train was about three hours ride, I had time to really figure out where I'm going to stay. And luckily, and I don't know if it's luckily or not, because 
I believe one thing is that a lot of time when you're really de dedicated to do something, I feel like the universe or whatever is, is helping you, but you need to get to that bottom. Like you, right there and there, I found the solution and it was so strange. So as I was doing researching and finding who can help me, I uh, found out that two of my girlfriends from Belgium actually were in New York City for the fashion week. Like, what are the odds? They were there. And I told them, I, I need a place to stay. I don't know where to go. She's like, oh yeah, we're staying in Newark. So they were also broke, <laughs> three young girls <laughs> with no money. <laughs> They're like, we stay in Newark in a room. I'm like, Newark, where is that? So I arrived at Port Authority with my luggage and I, um, they give me the address from Newark, New Jersey. And when I gave my, when I put my stuff in the cab, the guy asked me, where were you going? I said, New Jersey. And he says, where in New Jersey? And I said, New Jersey. I, I thought New Jersey was a little city and, you know, a little town. I didn't know it was such a huge state. So I showed him the address. He goes, okay. So we went all the way to Newark. And then I remember this, he said, $80. Remember, I was like, I had almost nothing. And I had to give him my $80 that I, I'm like, what $80 for this? Back then it was so much money for me, but at least I met my friends. And then we ended up, uh, we slept four of us in one room uh, for a week. And during that time I had to figure out what would be my next move. And I did the same thing. I went through my contacts and another thing happened. It was amazing is that I used to work in a restaurant in Belgium and the owner had a cousin who owned the restaurant in Edgewater, New Jersey. What are the odds? Like, I don't know any of this. And then he said, I'll make a call for you. So he called the, the, uh, his cousin and then they give us an address and we went there and they helped us out. They, they gave us a place to stay. Um, you know, I eventually got a job at that restaurant. And then later on, my friend left and then I tried to find a school so I can get a, um, a new visa so I could stay. So in my mind, I really wanted to stay in New York. That was like, I need to be here. I don't want to go back now. And I think it's back to the business, whatever mindset you're into, when you really dedicate it to do something, I think you find a way and things start to appear really for me, it did. So <clears throat> later on, the owner of the restaurant ended up sponsoring me so I could get my visa to go to school. So that was amazing. And I, I was able to go to school work. And now it wasn't easy, obviously, because, you know, I had to figure everything out. I worked in that as a bartender and I didn't know how to make drinks and I didn't speak English. So look at that. <laughs> I don't even know why he gave me the job, but I, and I was listening to the people who were sitting at the bar telling me their life stories. And I'm like, this is not like that in Europe. You know, I mean, at that time it wasn't for me. People order a drink and they go, but here I had so many guys who would sit there for two hours telling me, the whole life stories. And I'm like, is this supposed to be my job? Like be some sort of therapist? But yeah, this is, this is what bartenders do. <laughs> um, and I walked my way up that way after that school, it was an English school. I applied for college and then I got in. And then after college, I uh, slowly but surely uh, made my way up. And eventually I had a, this woman who, um, it was very interesting because I worked for a restaurant and after a while, uh, when my visa was going to end, I actually asked her, I said, okay, I really want to stay in this country. Um, can you help me? And I, I remember being terrified. And then she said, um, sure, what do you need? And I told her, I need, I need you to sponsor me for my, uh, for my green card so I can stay here. And she said, uh, you totally deserve it. And then she did help me out. It, and she's an angel. 
Like she literally gave me, she, she put herself not in danger, but she gave me, you know, her, uh, her income tax document. And after four years, nine years, by the way, and by nine years later, I became an American citizen. It was a long journey of doing odd jobs, going to school, working at night, babysitting, like I've done every job, you name it. But that was a big day. That day was a big day. I will never forget. And then right after that, I started my business. <clears throat> and uh, my business started, I started uh, as a life coach, but I've had done so many jobs. I worked in the event industry. I was an exec assistant for some, like I've done so many of these things, but I knew that coaching was what I wanted to do, uh, but not life coaching. So I eventually got my certification as a business coach. And today what I do, I mix all of that. So I am still doing business coaching, but I'm helping mainly immigrant women start a business in the United States. So that's where I, I, uh, I, I shine. Um, I also worked for Google at some point for a year uh, in the office in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And that gave me a lot of, um, I learned a lot and I was able later to implement digital marketing into my uh, program of business coaching. So that's why I have a really complete program. And with the pandemic now, a lot of people want to start an online business. So it's perfect, you know? <clears throat> so that's the story in a nutshell. Yeah, that is quite a story. So as a young woman, New York, what, what is the picture of New York you had in your mind that that was the go-to place? I think the reason why I picked New York at that time is because I really wanted a big challenge. I wanted to prove to myself and to my family that a woman, a young woman with a, a, a very uh, difficult background, because we already started this whole immigration process that I'm just mentioned in New York, I've had li I've lived that already with my mom when we immigrated to Belgium. So I knew what it was not to speak the language, not to have proper documentation. My mom working day and night, you know, to to care for us. I knew all of that already. So because I came from a, a difficult background, I felt in my head, and I don't know, I was 17 when I decided to do that, that I needed to to go big because if I could make it in New York. I could make it anywhere. And I think it's, it's true because what I've learned in New York city is going to stay with me forever. Even if I live somewhere else, it is part of me now because most of my adult life, I spend it here. So, but if I, to give you a really a good answer, I don't know. I don't know why I picked New York and um, what I had in my mind I just saw the movies, but even when I was here, I didn't, I felt like what I saw in my head was still a separation from where I was. I was like, is this it? It was very, very confusing, a totally different world. Yeah, and New York's very di diverse also. Right. So it can look one way, one place, and one way, another place. Yeah, and I love that about, about this city. I really do, because you can find anything here. Uh, but it's also a very difficult city. You know, it takes time to understand how this city works. You know, it's not, uh, I think movies and everything else portray it like a, the American dream, the you come here and you, you become rich and you live in a sky rise building. Uh, hello, no, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not how it goes. <laughs> exactly. The other thing I noticed about your story is that even as a young woman, you were willing to ask and they were big 
big ass, not small ass. And, you know, so many times as women, I think we are afraid to, to ask. So talk about asking for what you want and what you need. I was terrified asking that I I know because also my mom taught me this like don't count on anybody help yourself don't ask for anything um and I think I don't know exactly where was the uh the moment where I decided to ask but I also think it has to do with survival you know when you're really at the bottom of things and you really need to find a way I mean, if you ask and the person says no, but you back to where you were, I mean, that's, there's nothing, you didn't lose anything. But if you don't ask and the person might say yes to help you, then you, your life could change. And it changed for me many times. I can tell you a story when one time I asked for money and I, <laughs> for me to ask for money, I was like, oh my God. But I, I had to, at this point, I was like, okay, if I don't do this, I'm just not going to make it here. So I remember knowing somebody who was quite wealthy that I had kind of, met here and there was the older man older businessman and I had a lot of respect for him because I knew him through the restaurant of where I was working and uh it was winter and I I had I wasn't making money I didn't I I worked maybe two three shifts at the restaurant and that would probably bring me a couple of hundred bucks a week I I mean I was not it was I was terrified because I had to pay rent I had to pay for school I I have to find a way so I said to him, um, I needed a car and I needed a, 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 even a beat up car. I didn't care, but I needed a car so I can find jobs. So, and I was already in New Jersey. So I actually called him. I had to find the car first and the car was $1,800, which I didn't have. And I was like, well, this is my last chance. So I called him because I had his number. And I remember being so nervous on the phone. And I said, look, this is a situation. It's winter. I really need to get work. I, 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 I saw a car that I need. It's a used car. Da, 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 da. I made my spiel, but I was nervous talking. And then he said, how much? And I said, $1,800. And he says, there was a quiet. I was like, oh my God, he's going to say no. And he goes, I'll write you a check. You can pick it up at the bank on Monday. Wow. That's what he said. And I said, what? I was like, to, to me was, oh my, no way. This guy did, like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And um, I still didn't believe it until I went to the bank on Monday. <clears throat> so I said, of course, I said, thank you so much. And all of that. I, I, and he didn't want to be reimbursed. He's, he, he knew, I think he knew me well enough working in a restaurant that uh, I was a hardworking person and that really wanted to make it here. And um, I got the check and I went to get the car and the card helped me to get gigs because at that point I was dancing. So my thing was belly dancing. That's how I was able to pay for school. So I used to get all these gigs left and right. And the car helped me go everywhere in New Jersey to be able to, to get um, money to pay for college. Wow. You really have done a lot of things. And I know as I was reading your bio, um, you have, since then, you've lived in 20 different countries. Want to talk about that? There, there are a lot of people right now, especially now that we're going virtual, that would just love to have that nomad moving around lifestyle where they can just work anywhere. Right. So one th- I think everybody should do this, honestly. Um, but there's pros and cons to that, uh, obviously. So first of all, I, what I will say is that to me, 
and many digital nomads I met, um, the best lifestyle we can have is have a business with a salary uh, or an income that comes from a westernized country and then live in a not westernized country. So a third world or what I meant is, is you can leave for a lot less financially. So for example, I spent six months in Morocco. I mean, we we were by the beach. The food was amazingly good. It was, I mean, every day we can have a whole meal for less than $5. It, it was, it's delicious. It's healthy. The weather is nice. People are nice. And when you start thinking that way, you're like, okay, I'm only spending less than a thousand dollars a month and I have all my needs met and more. And I can make four or five times this because I kept my income in my company or whatever. So I think, I think this is where we're going anyway now with everybody working remotely, like a lot more people want to go to Central America and have, you know, and stay in those places that looks like paradise mm -hmm. while they still work, you know, for the company here in the US or wherever. Um, <clears throat> so how I managed to do that was quite interesting because I stayed 15 years in the United States and I really fought to make sure I had my citizenship here, pay my taxes, have a business. And then as soon as I got everything in order, I left. So I was like, what, what did I do all this for? Um, but for me, us is still home, uh, obviously. And I, and I come back, but when I started to travel at first, I was like a little scared because I had get rid of my car. I put my stuff in storage. I got rid of my apartment and I went complete nomad. And all I have is a luggage and a backpack. And I said, uh, this is it. I'm going to travel with this now. So to give you a little bit of pros and cons, I think that first of all, let's start with the cons. I think that it's a lot more difficult if you have a, a responsibilities, like huge responsibilities, like a mortgage of two or two, a family, a partner that maybe is tied up with a job and you can do these things. So for me, I'm single. I have no children. My job is online. So I don't want to be in a city where I got to stress out to pay a really high expensive rent and, you know, be, I don't want, I don't want this life of commuting to work. And this is not, this doesn't work for me. And because I have that freedom, I'm able to do all this. Um, secondly, mentally, it's really difficult because if you are not used to be alone, um, a lot of people are afraid to travel alone, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, especially women. So it's not the risk to start going out there and travel. And it's amazing. I, it really is amazing. I, I, I would tell people not to watch too much media because a lot of time they talk about places that can be dangerous. And in my case, I've never had any, anything anywhere and I'm, I'm solo traveling alone. Obviously you want to you know, be careful and follow intuition and don't do crazy things like walking by yourself in the middle of the night, uh, dressing too sexy. There's some places that just don't understand that. They're just going to think, well, she's asking for it or things like the mentality is not, our mentality is not the same everywhere. It's very, very important to understand that. Like personal space, you're not gonna like. I went to Turkey. There's no personal space in Turkey. People pass in front of you. They move. They, they if you do the queue at, at the line somewhere at the store, they're literally gonna walk in front of you and, and take your spot. What are you gonna do? <laughs> You've seen it. They just did that in front of you. They did this to me in Morocco too. I was clearly in the line, and the guy passed in front of me, and he placed his order. And I'm like, excuse me. But then, what are you gonna do? You know, you don't want to start a fuss and then. So, so uh, <clears throat> pick up your battles, that's what they say. And, um, 
And then another another cons is the minimalism lifestyle. You know, America is still a consumerism lifestyle. So how, where are you going to put your, you know, 30 pair of shoes? And, and this, you can't do that with this lifestyle. You have to really learn how to live simply, you know. So just what you need to travel and the rest, you know, if you don't need it, don't buy it. So it's a, uh, but on, on the other hand, it's been really amazing. I've met people all around the world. I've, I've had clients now all over the world because I was able to do that. I've done events. I've done an event in Prague. I've done an event in Lisbon. I've done events in Morocco where I can speak about, you know, how to start an online business. Um, I've sat on panels in different countries and it's really been such rich experience and I think I'm addicted to it. I don't think I'll stop anytime soon. Yes, we were talking about that before we came on and yeah, yeah, and it, it does have some limitations, but it sounds like you're the perfect fit for it. So I love it. I love it. Oh, another cons is a relationship. You know, we were talking about this, like it's difficult, like if you are trying to settle down and uh, unless your partner travels too, you know, that's something I have to put on the back burner. I can be in a relation, a romantic relationship per se. You can date, date is fun. You know that you can do, <laughs> but to settle with somebody, it's harder. You ha- you're going to have to kind of choose at that point. If your partner doesn't want to do this with you. Yeah. Is there certain countries that kind of attract more nomad people than other ones? Yes, definitely. There's some now. There's a lot of sites where you can find all of that information. There's one I really like it's called Nomads List, and they actually give you ratings on everything. They give you ratings ratings on internet to see if your internet is good enough, on equality, on safety, weather, uh, even uh, uh, racism, um, if it's gay friendly. Like it's it's super interesting because some countries they just not like Morocco is not they're not going to be overly going to say it's still very um, the mindset is still very closed. So you would want to be careful some places. And that's sad because what I love about the U S is you can be free like that. You can really express who you are, but unfortunately some countries, they just don't understand it. Uh, Doesn't mean you can be who you are. I think you should but just learn where you're going so you won't be putting yourself in danger. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now um, you recently wrote a book. In fact, you just got your book, just came. So why don't you show us that book and also tell us about the book? Sure, so this is the book. So it's the stories of immigrant women entrepreneur in the United States. And on the cover here, you can see some of the women who are in the book. And basically, this is the stories of women immigrants who came here and uh, who made a name for themselves uh, with a business. So, uh, for example, here we have Hanadi. Uh, she's from Lebanon and she's got beautiful stories. She did a TED talk when she talks about uh, her story as being a Muslim veiled woman here in America. Here we have, for example, uh, Reina. Reina has a nonprofit organization when she fights for uh, children, uh, DACA, the, the children who cross the border um, undocumented. So she made, she works with the government. She works with many nonprofit organizations. 
Here we have Lucy, she's from Cameroon. She's also an entrepreneur. So we have a lot of uh, 28 stories to be exact in this book. And the reason why this is was so important to me, it's because I needed to inspire other immigrants to you know, make a name for themselves, creating a business, but also educate Americans and share with them that uh, immigrants are part of this country. They come here, they are part of the economy. We're here because we want a better life, yes, but we will also want to contribute. So there's so many women uh, and people who come here and build crazy businesses. I mean, look at uh, Tesla, it, you know, Elon Musk from South Africa. Look at Google. The, the, they also kids from immigrants. There's so many Bezos, you know, half Latino. Um, uh, what's the Apple guy? Um, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, mm -hmm. also adopted from Syrian family. So look at all of this. This is the 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 how this country is so rich. And these are only mega companies, but think about all the smaller ones, like the nail salon where you go into, mm -hmm. uh, the Mexican restaurant. I mean, this is part. We are part of this economy, and I wanted people to take a closer look at the stories of these women. <clears throat> and also, immigrants are not always people who are coming from third world countries. Somebody from Switzerland can be an immigrant, somebody from Australia. And actually we have a, a woman from Switzerland, Australia, Germany, uh, who are in this book. Amazing stories, yeah. Wow. And what resources are available for people? Let's say they come like you did and they're, they're new when they're working a job, trying to get things together. Um, is there supportive organizations or other places to get support? Uh, well, I'm sure there, there are many, uh, but when I, I came here in 2005, honestly, I didn't, I, I didn't know any of, of it, you know, uh, internet was not used like it is used today. Uh, but I still found a way to kind of find a support system. I found mentors who can help me. I'm very social too. And as you know, I ask, I literally go and ask for things, uh, because, uh, when I need, I mean, if I need help, I will ask, but I'm also a good helper. If somebody asks me for help, I always return the favor. I, I actually <clears throat> really love helping others. Um, so right now there gotta be a lot of groups out there, but I think I think if somebody comes here and they need support, I would say, we'll start with Facebook groups because there's a lot of Facebook groups out there and uh, there's meetups. So that's another thing. They should contact the embassies because there's events that are set up by the embassies as well. And just do not be afraid to go out there and meet people and talk and see who you connect with and then go from there. You know, that's what I would do. Yeah. And then um, we're also talking about um, women and funding and how sometimes it's harder for women to find funding than for, for men or even other groups. Um, you want to talk about that? Sure. So it's actually in the book because I think a re the, so we talk about entrepreneurship in this book. And I think, it, first of all, it's very hard for women to get funded. But if there were more funds available for women and women immigrants, I think women could create a lot more amazing companies. But we have to be honest, when you first start, like, especially immigrants, they don't have a credit history. They, they don't have any of that. And the lenders, they don't want to lend them money because they don't have a credit history. So then we go in a in circle and, and it's become very difficult. Um, but in the book, I have, so I, I spent some time to really do some research to give some great facts. So imagine if it's hard for African-American women to get funded or immigrant women to get funded, it is hard for women in, in general. So th this is that. 
So I'm just going to give you a few facts here. And I think why, why people do not fund women? Like it's, um, it's crazy. We literally lead the economy by making 80% of the global decisions. Why are we not more funded? We would run this world a lot better. So here, for example, women-owned businesses generate around 1.9 trillion in revenue per year. Can you imagine? This is, this is amazing. Or here, um, California has the highest proportion of women-owned firms in the U.S. at 1.3 million. So the numbers don't lie. And I think we should really shine the light on the lack of funding opportunities for women and women uh, minority of minorities. Beautiful. Now, I know your book just came out. Um, is there a place where people can get your book? Of or course. It's being launched. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's on the pre-launch phase right now. So anybody who orders the book right now, uh, before the end of September, it's going to be uh, $27 and they get the copy signed by me. So I'll order them, I'll sign them and I'll ship them to that person. Um, and they can get this on the, the website is the same as the title. So it's uh, immigrantwomenentrepreneurs.com or they can go on my website at saluaibalin.com and under the page, the book, they can find where they can get uh, the book as well. Exactly. And you do have a YouTube channel. So you want to talk about that and what you're doing with that? Yes, of course. So I started a YouTube channel because I wanted to share my travels as a digital nomad. And I didn't want it to be a just travel blog. I don't like that. I'm not the type of person that say, I go eat here, watch this. I think that's boring. That's not what I do. So what I do is I take them on a on, I show them the experience of where I'm at as a local. So I literally connect with local and I do things that tourists don't do. And I also talk about the digital nomad lifestyle. So where to sleep when you're a digital nomad, where to eat, how you can save money. If you need paperwork, how you can get either a visa or a, whatever documents you need, where to work as co-working space, where the best one, how you pick them. And I put my list of resources on there. And uh, sometimes I interviews local about how to start a business in that country and people like that as well. So my channel is my name, Salwa Ibalin. Uh, you just type my name or Salwa Ibalin TV and you'll find uh, the channel. And right now I'm still posting videos about Morocco because I, I spent six months there. So I have so much content and I really want to share that with the world. Beautiful. Yeah, that's on my bucket list, Morocco. <laughs> Sounds okay. so beautiful. So yeah, you heard about that city called Chef Shawan? It's the blue city. It's blue everywhere. It's really pretty. Yeah, it's very famous. It sounds wonderful. So um, what other services do you have available for people? So what I do now is I do coaching one-on-one uh, and I teach people how to start an online business. So we work on the business strategy and then on the digital marketing aspect, but most importantly on the mindset. This is something that's recurring. A lot of women I meet are either self-sabotaging themselves or they just don't feel worthy and they, they just don't charge enough. They don't know how to sell. So we work on all the aspects on the mindset level first. And then we work on the foundation of the business. We look at if there's a demand for it, can you market it? Uh, do you love it? If you don't love it, what are you doing it? Like entrepreneurship should be about creating something that uh, solve a problem while you enjoy the, the ride. Because if you don't, you're just gonna be buried under stress and unhappiness and th therefore it's, it's bound to fail. 
So I focus on that. And so I do that one-on-one coaching. So it's six months program, they can work with me or they have an online course they can do on their, on their own. So that's what I do. And then I have my merch right now. We have this book. I'm launching a merchandise uh, coming soon with sweaters, cups, mugs, all of that about uh, immigrant entrepreneurs. So that's what I'm working on. That's amazing. Thank you. And just a personal question. What gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life right now? I think travel, to be honest, uh, you know, it's simple things, you know, I don't, I, I for example, if I sit in a beautiful park uh, with a book and a cup of coffee at 3 p.m. on a Monday, I am really happy <laughs> because I know that I used to work, you know, and I don't want that where I was like looking at the watch to see what time I was going to be done with work. I'm like, okay, is my shift over? I don't have, you know, I don't owe a thing to, I don't owe nothing to no one. I can make my own schedule. And uh, obviously I'm very disciplined with my work. So I don't just, you know, wander around all day. But I think those little moments, I, I learn how to appreciate them a lot. You know, that's, that's really my happiness right now. That is important. Just being in the present moment and enjoying whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, and not being in this rat race. And I say that as someone who lived it for a long time, you know, and I think that's why I can see like this little things that I, we didn't pay attention before because we were so stressed and focused on getting to work and taking that train and don't miss this and do that and pay that, that you forget to be here right now. I'm yeah. just curious in this um, lifestyle that you have, how about how many hours a week are you actually doing your productive working where you're actually creating income so i actually have uh, uh my calendar is very it's very um organized so on um i don't take any client works on monday so monday i do everything that is admin so i talk to my assistant for example we set up the task for the week i look at all the back office of everything if i need to go through some some things i look at finances i set the goals for the week like monday is like business uh development day so that's all admin work and then tuesdays and thursdays those are clients day so i only take calls on those days so my calendar if somebody want to schedule a call with me it's going to be only on a tuesdays and thursdays and the reason why i did it this way is because those two days especially as i'm traveling a lot i know those two days I will have an office space with internet and I'll be present to get on, you know, calls. Um, and it, it was important for me that, you know, I'm, it really works fine for me to work a long day of calls and then the following day not taking any calls. So those two days is important. Wednesday is um, lead gen day. So Wednesday is when I look for clients. So first of all, I, you know, you, you take care of your clients first, but on Wednesday, this is where I'm going to do Maybe my newsletter. This is when I'm gonna, you know, <clears throat> maybe do a live on my Facebook group. This is where I'm gonna uh, do my follow-ups. Uh, I'm probably gonna do calls uh, just to see where I'm at or how can I bring in more uh, clients in. And then on Friday is content creation day. So Friday, it's anything that has to do with content, video, filming, editing, the book, anything like that. And then on Sunday is day off. So Sunday, I don't touch my laptop. It's hard sometimes because I feel like, oh, I should, should take a look what's my emails. But I don't touch my laptop on Sunday. I try to go in nature. 
and Saturday it's I'm leaving that open so it can be working or not working if I happen to be in the city I'll bring my laptop I'll sit at a coffee shop but if somebody wants to meet I, it will be that day and uh, another thing that I also removed I know uh, it, it's notifications so I stopped every notification of everything so I don't get them so unless I'm going to check my email I won't know if you send me an email on my phone I stopped doing this because then I can't be focused. You know, you started working on a project and the next thing you know, like, oh, let me just like, and then two hours pass and you haven't done anything. So no notification ever except my phone. And I don't give my phone number to a lot of people. So I, so that way I can just, you know, you have to know how to communicate with who, uh, that way it, the way it works best for you. Yeah, that sounds great. Very organized and also putting the, those um, boundaries in. Right. Actually be really focused. Yeah. I used to have cl clients calling me at five in the morning on Sundays. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. And this is okay. But hey, have you done this? So, because in their mind, this is their business. So they think everybody's, you know, no. So you have to, yeah, really set boundaries. For me, it's email. I, a lot, I prefer that a lot better than anything else, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing your stories and your advice. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really did appreciate it. Yeah. So I have one last question before we finish. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Do it. <laughs> I think not to wait. It's so many people who wait, they wait to be ready. They wait to have a little bit more money. They wait for this, they wait for that. And in the meantime, time goes by. Just go ahead and do it with fear. It's even better when you're afraid because then the, you know, you feel so much better after you accomplish it. You're like, oh my God, I, I went through this. So yeah, um, maybe one thing that I did and that's really cool is I created a bucket list. As I started to travel, I was like, oh, I wanna go there. I wanna do this. And then I look at my bucket list and I, I say, okay, I'm going to do this now. So I plan it and then I go for it. Um, but don't plan too much. You have to leave room for the unexpected. It's, it's better that way. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye.